join me and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We'll be looking at the last three verses of the book this morning. Romans 16, we'll be looking at verses 25 to 27 together in just a few minutes. Pastor Sam Storms said this of worship. Worship is a feast in which God is the host, the cook, the waiter, and the meal itself. What's, what's going on when we come to worship? What's going on later on when we come to this table? We're coming to God in worship, and it is a feast in which God is both the host, the cook, the waiter, and the meal itself. Certainly, this is what the truth of the gospel has taught us as we've studied through the book of Romans together. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the one who is your Father and and mine, if we trust in Him today, He is worthy of all glory and is indeed an all-satisfying feast. Amen, church? C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, nobody here that's part of the church that's a believer is going to not amen when I say God is an all-satisfying feast, and yet how many of us throughout the week feed at different tables hoping to be satisfied? I hope by the time you leave today, you're more convinced than ever by the Word of God that He is indeed just that. He is an all-satisfying feast. We finish our study in the book of Romans this week. This is our 45th time together in this wonderful letter. We've been studying this letter under the heading of the gospel of the righteousness of God. And and just in brief, what we've said this letter's about is the good news. The word gospel means good news. It's about the good news that holy God, who demands perfect righteousness from us, if we would have a relationship with Him, has given us what He demands of us as a gift to be received through the perfect life, sin-atoning death, and victorious resurrection of His Son, Jesus. So all we have to do is come as children and take the gift. This is the good news. Would you stand with me as we read Paul's doxology and final words in this letter, Romans chapter 16, verse 25. This is how he wraps up. And how fitting it is that he would end with a doxology, a a, a word of praise and and, and, and a description of glory to the God who thought of and, and originated this whole thing we've been talking about called the gospel. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith 
to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people with Paul said, Amen. And amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about these three verses under the heading of the goal of the gospel, the glory of God. What is the goal of the gospel? This letter has been about the gospel. Well, as Paul finishes the book, he tells us what the whole point of it all is, and it is the glory of God. What is the goal of the gospel? It is the glory of God. Of God. Here's the take home truth that I want you to pack up and take with you today. The God of the gospel is worthy of being glorified by practical holiness and through consistent proclamation of the gospel in the lives of all who know his mercies in Jesus. Do you know his mercies in Jesus today? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you understood and embraced the gospel of Jesus as your only hope? If you had, have, then in your life, the God of the gospel is worthy of being glorified in your practical holiness and through your consistent proclamation of the gospel. I want you to see with me this morning as we think about the goal of the gospel, the glory of God. I want you to see with me three aspects of the gospel, three things about the gospel to notice by way of summary and conclusion to this precious letter. First of all, notice from these verses what the gospel is, what the gospel is. Paul summarizes what he's been teaching now for some 16 chapters here in these three verses. In verse 25, the first part, he says, now to him, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So in short, when we say the gospel, what did Paul mean? He explains himself. He said, my gospel, what do I mean? The preaching of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? What the gospel is, is the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's not just general good news. It's specific about the person and work of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. This parallels chapter 1 where Paul said that he was called to be an apostle uh, and a preacher of the gospel of God, verse 1 of chapter 1, and then verse 3, which was concerning his Son. This letter's all about the gospel. It's all about the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's the message of Jesus What is that message? Well, by way of quick review, the message of the gospel starts with bad news in Romans 3 verse 23 where Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever lived on planet earth except Jesus himself sinned or will sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 1 verses 21 to 23 tell us the essence of what sin is. There we read, for although they knew God, that is every person that's ever lived has an inherent understanding of God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Listen, what does it mean to sin against God? It means to not be thankful to him and not to honor him. But verse 23 says, it means to exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creatures. Thing. What does it mean to sin against holy God? It means that you don't thank him for who he is. You don't honor him for the, for the supreme 
beneficiary he is towards us in all things, in, in the breath we breathe, all the way to the pinnacle of his grace and goodness in Jesus. Sin means we exchange, according to verse 23, the glory of the immortal God for lies in another part of this chapter. It says, for things that are imitations of or reflections of or shadows of God. We exchange the glory of God, the beauty of the holiness, the purity, the righteousness of God in all of his ways for us. We turn our back on that and we make As it were in that day, and and even in ours today, we make idols, whether that be an actual uh, statue of of an idol in some country, uh, primitive country today, where they still bow and worship carved images, or whether it be that idol of your heart or mind that so easily crops up that we worship, whether it be power or things or money. The Bible says in this same chapter that we exchange the glory of God for lies. And so instead of living our lives and ordering our our, our lives according to God's word, where we don't love money but we love God, where we we use the the gift of sex within the the confines of marriage for the the pleasure and, and, and purposes it was created for, we don't twist it into all sorts of perversions that 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 we make up and, 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 and we, we believe the, the lies of Satan. This is what it means to sin against holy God. And the bottom line is, it, it, it doesn't matter if it's from sexual perversion all the way down to what we easily in the church in America let go as not even being sin, and that is greed or covetousness, which Paul says in another place is idolatry. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in Romans 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. Catch this, no one seeks for God. If you know Jesus today, it's not because you went looking for Jesus. Amen? It's because Jesus came looking for you. Romans 6, 23 tells us, what all this sin and rebellion gets us for the wages of sin is death. What does the all-glorious, holy, just, righteous God do? How does he react to the, to the sin of humanity? He reacts with just and righteous wrath, which ends in everlasting death for those who reject the only hope for salvation, which is found in the Son. So that's all the bad news. And and you see, Paul goes through all that in the book of Romans because you've got to understand that bad news. You've got to accept that bad news. You've got to admit the fact that, yes, you indeed are a sinner in need of a Savior. No matter how clean your sin, and clean in quotations, you understand there's no clean sin? Y'all with me? Love and money will send you to hell just as much as Homosexuality will send you to hell. Lying will send you to hell just as much as living as a drunk will send you to hell, apart from the Savior, Jesus Christ. That bad news has to be understood and accepted so that we can understand and believe, listen, the good news. Paul doesn't tell us the bad news to leave us under the wrath of God. He wants us to know the freedom and rescue of of faith in Jesus Christ. And so the good news comes then and is summarized in the last part of that same verse we just were reading from, Romans 6, 23. The second part says, 
remember the first part, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you ever stopped to think about that verse very much? The wages of sin, which by this point in the letter, if you had started at the beginning and read up through chapter 6, you would understand something. All you can contribute in this world before holy God is sin. That's all you got. That's all you got. And Paul says here, what you earn with what you can do in this world is nothing but death. The wages of your sin is death. And that's not just physical death, that's everlasting death. That's a place called hell where there's eternal torment from holy God towards sinful men who've rejected Jesus. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What you work so hard to get is only death. What you think you've accomplished in this life earns you only death, but there is a free gift that the Father holds out for you to take. The free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Free to you, as you've heard that, that, whatever those things are you call them, for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, it costs Christ everything. He was tortured Mocked, killed through the most horrendous of deaths to pay the price for my sins so that instead of getting what I earned, which is everlasting death, I can be offered through him the free gift of grace and forgiveness. And hear me, 100% righteousness so that the Father would see me just as perfect and holy as he sees his son because he doesn't see me anymore anymore unless he sees me wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. How does God give us this gift? Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God took the initiative. While we were still sinners and loving it, Sinners and hating God. God took the initiative and sent his son and Christ died for us. And and now we know that according to Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 12 and 13, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says simply, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will be made righteous. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you, it's, just, it's just like this. If you'll take God at his word and, and, and say so, if you'll say, God, you say that, that salvation's a gift, that instead of getting what I earned, I'll get what I don't deserve as a gift from you, that Jesus paid it all, that he was righteous for me, that he paid the, 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 the price of my sin for me, that he rose again for vic- my victory over sin and my everlasting uh, uh, abode with you and, and, and enjoyment of you, if you'll simply believe that in your heart and say so, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead. Paul says you will be saved. Verse 12 says, There is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Doesn't matter who you are. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, I want to appeal to you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this can be the day of your salvation. It is as simple as hearing the truth you've heard to this moment, taking God in his word and saying out loud, I believe what God says about Jesus. I believe, he, I believe he did it all for me. 
And I want to take the gift that he's offering. And if you'll do that, then like the rest of us in the room who have, by the grace of God, done that, it'll be true for you according to Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be saved and forgiven and made righteous in in, in Christ? It means there's no condemnation to you. But you know what else it means at the end of Romans 8, verse 38? Paul says, you can talk like this, I am sure, are you sure, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able ever to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you sure of that? Do you know that about you and God today? That because of Jesus, you know that nothing can ever separate you from him. No one can ever rightly accuse you. Does that mean you won't sin tomorrow? No, you'll sin tomorrow, but guess what? It's already been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means you don't get up and try to sin tomorrow. Amen? Hello? Because as I was sharing with young Weston, who will baptize next Sunday morning, it's just logical. Like like a kid can get this, guys. Jesus comes to live in you when you trust him. And if Jesus comes to live in you, he don't leave you the same. You don't get to keep doing what the Bible calls sin. It makes no sense. I mean, it's just logically inconsistent and spiritually insane to think that you can trust Jesus to get you into heaven but live like hell the rest of your life. There not be a change. He is worthy of a change. But more than that, he is the, the agent of that change as he cleanses us and, 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 and little by little changes us. Paul said, hey, this is the message, Romans 1 verse 16, that I'm not ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, What the gospel is, what the gospel is, is the preaching of Jesus Christ. But secondly, this passage back in Romans 16 now tells us the gospel is a mystery revealed. Listen to verse 25, the second part. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God, God commanded it would be so to bring about the obedience of faith. What is this gospel? This gospel is a mystery revealed. Just so we're clear, it's no longer a mystery today. You know when it got all cleared up? You know when it was all revealed and made manifest? It started in the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. It continued through the life of Jesus. It culminated in the death, but specifically in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The secret's out, y'all. He is Lord and Savior for all of the world. But for a long time, the Jews just thought God loved them. In Romans 1, verse 1, it says the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 5 says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul said, I'm an apostle, not just to the Jews, but to the world, because the mystery is Jesus is for 
the whole world. All nations. Another way of saying this, we, we, we're, we're using this phrase, a mystery revealed. It's also prophecies. Many, 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 many prophecies. Some of which we'll be looking at over the, through the Advent season. Many prophecies fulfilled. Right? That's what the gospel is. In, in short, let me just summarize. What, 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 are we, what are we talking about? When he, when he talks about this mystery, what are we talking about? We're talking about the truth that God brings about the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ in people from every nation through the gospel. That's the truth that people didn't understand until the resurrection. That's what the Jews had missed all throughout, uh, most of them, all throughout the Old Testament is that God would bring about the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ in people's hearts from every nation through the preaching of the gospel. God's goal has always been a body of believers called the church who are one through their faith in Jesus Christ. From all nations, it's always been the goal of God in history. Even from eternity past, this has been the plan and purpose of God in human history. Romans 9 through 11 specifically go into a lot of detail about this mystery. Colossians 1 maybe describes this mystery the best. Colossians 1.25 says that Paul, Paul, Paul's talking about his own ministry. He said, I was given this ministry to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? You just want to wrap it up and, and define it real quick? Here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The full story is Christ can be in you if you're Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. Whatever people group you come from, if you put faith in Christ, Christ is in you and you have the hope of everlasting glory with God. Christ in you. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3 puts it this way. When you read this, Paul says, when you read this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what the mystery is, and the secret is out. Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. Paul talked about this in Romans. I said, I told you a minute ago, 9 through 11, but particularly as he wraps up that section uh, almost there at the end of chapter 11, Romans 11, verses 25 and 26. Paul says, lest you, you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, and in this way, through the hardening of the Gentiles, all through the hardening of, the, of, the, of, of Israel and through the, the coming in of the Gentiles, all Israel will be saved. What's he saying? Again, we, we wrestle with this. We said we could agree to disagree perhaps on this. But my take is this, God has in part hardened the Jews so that the Gentiles, the message can go to the Gentiles, and through the incoming, in-gathering by the Holy Spirit of God through the Gentiles, so all Israel, that is all true spiritual Israel, the one God's had in mind since before the world began, the church will be saved. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is Jesus Christ. 
the rescue and ru- rescuer and ruler who was predicted, has been revealed, and is now being proclaimed. That's what the gospel is, and Paul says, glorify God for this gospel. But what does the gospel do? Notice with me at the beginning of verse 25 again, God uses the gospel to strengthen believers. Now to him who is able. Interesting. That's the same word, same, it's, it's a derivative of the same word that is used in Romans 1.16. Now to him who is able, to him you could translate this literally, uh, dynameo, you could translate that, who is powerful to. This is the verb form of the noun in Romans 1.16 where Paul says the gospel is the power of God. You hear dynamite in that, dynameo, right? Dunamis in, in Romans 1.16. The God of the gospel is able to take the gospel and not only save you, but strengthen you as his own child. Establish you, the word strengthen there means. Make, stand, make to stand firm and ready to, to plant your feet on solid ground so that you, you can't be shaken. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. That's how he does it in the preaching of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's what I want you to catch under this point. The gospel not only resurrects us from the dead and gives us life in Jesus through the forgiveness of our sins and the imputation of all of Jesus' righteousness to our account, securing our final salvation. That is, not only does it justify and one day will glorify us, Romans 1 through 5, but the gospel in this life practically grows and strengthens and changes us as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of Christ, as sons and daughters in the family of God. Not only does the gospel justify and one day will glorify us, but in the meantime, it sanctifies us, Romans 6 through 8 and 12 through 15. The heart of the gospel, John Piper says, is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternal triumph, eternally triumphant over his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation, instead everlasting joy for those who trust him. We've seen what the gospel is. We've seen what it does. It strengthens us. Hear me. You never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not just the entry point. It's the whole walk with Christ. We grow in the gospel. Peter would say we grow in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We just learn more of the gospel. We go deeper in the gospel. But there's no graduate-level curriculum other than the gospel. Well, thirdly, and finally, notice with me, seeing what the gospel is, what it does, notice who the source of the gospel is. Verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the command, verse 26, of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is who the source of the gospel is. The God of the gospel is, first of all, eternal. He is the eternal God, verse 26 says. We've already seen he's able to strengthen you. Can I, can I tell you that, that, that that phrase at the beginning of verse 25, before we move on here, that takes away all the excuses for not living for Jesus strong. 
Because your father is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, we just, we just accept mediocrity. We just say, you know, here's the thing. I'm just human. I know God would, and, 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 and I know, you know, if everything was right and I was feeling good spiritually, I know God could use me more greatly. You see, that just don't fly. That's mockery towards your father who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. What a great encouragement, but also sometimes what a great chastisement, amen? A little bit of corrective discipline from a loving father. Let me just, just, just kind of simplify. You can be all you want to be in the kingdom because your father is able to strengthen you. Now, what you want to be and what God calls you to be, those two things have to sync up, amen? God's boss, not you. But the God of the gospel is eternal, the eternal God, it says. He's the only, what does that mean? It really means he's the only true, everlasting God. I mean, it just makes sense. If, 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 if he's the real thing, then he's forever, right? And he's always been, like if he's the real God. So when he says the eternal God, yes, he means the everlasting, never-ending, never-beginning God. He's describing him, but he's also describing more than that. He's basically saying the one true God, the only God. But secondly, he calls him here the only wise God. Stay with me on all the onlys here. Only, the only true God could be the author and source of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I think that's why Paul brings up his wisdom here. I mean, I don't know about you, but the book of Romans has blown my mind. Just the depth of, of explanation of, of the goodness and grace of God in Jesus Christ. You know, we, Paul, we heard Paul back in, uh, in Romans 11. He, he just had to stop mid, midway and say, oh, the riches of the wisdom, you know, the riches and, 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 and wisdom of the, of the glory of God. He just went off about the gospel. Can believe how deep and, and, and beautiful and wonderful it is. And so here again, the only wise God, to the only wise God be glory. Only the only true God could be the author and source of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and indeed he is. So, give him glory forever. If all this is true, if you understand who the, what the gospel is, what it does, and who the source of the gospel is, then give him glory forever. As we said at the very beginning, the God of the gospel is worthy of being glorified by practical holiness and through consistent proclamation of the gospel in the lives of all who know his mercies in Jesus. Amen? What are you allowing to keep you from glorifying this God of the gospel by which you've been saved, brother, sister in Christ? Let me ask that question more simply. What mud pies, in the words of C.S. Lewis, are you playing with day to day? And so choosing to forfeit that vacation at the beach in the enjoyment of Jesus that God offers. I 
As John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. How long will you ignore the feast your soul can daily enjoy in Jesus, the all-satisfying feast of the grace of God in Christ? That's a question for you, church. Because you know what? Anytime we play the harlot with our Savior Jesus and, and go drinking from broken cisterns that can hold no water, go sleeping around trying to find pleasure somewhere else and satisfaction somewhere else, we're guilty of that. It's as if we've forgotten that. And yet all we have to do is turn from that sin back and turn back to Jesus. And you know what he does? He saved our seat at the table. And he welcomes us back to feast on the all-satisfying riches of his grace. But, but maybe this morning you're here and you've never, ever sat down at that table. And this morning you're feeling the brokenness and the dryness of sin. You're experiencing the emptiness and the lack of, sa- of satisfaction that comes from drinking from other wells and, 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 and sitting at other tables, trying to fill that emptiness, that that, that gap in your soul that can't be filled by anybody but Jesus. Maybe you're there today. Then today you can pull up a seat as one of God's children if you will simply say, I am a sinner before holy God. My life of sitting at other tables and sleeping in other beds, my life of drinking at other wells, dishonors you, holy and creator God. But I want to turn from that. I want to turn and take from you the gift. All I've earned is death, but I want to take from you the gift of everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, holiness before almighty God, power over sin in this life, and life everlasting in glory, in heaven, forever with him. I want to take that gift from you, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that in my heart, and I'm saying that out loud with my mouth, Father, to you. You know what the Bible says? We've already read it. If you'll call on the name of the Lord that way, if you'll trust Jesus, the risen Savior, in your heart that way, you will be saved. Is God a liar, or can you trust him? Maybe this is the first time ever in your life you've gotten to the point where you, where you, you believe in this moment, I think God's telling me the truth. I've always been hesitant to believe it, but today I want to make it real. I want to make it right with God. I want to take what he's given through Jesus. If you'll do that, then you can pull up a chair and spend the rest of your life, hear me, the rest of eternity feasting on the all-satisfying grace of God in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. You'll never, you'll never fully be satisfied and you'll never, and, and yet, it's that different. You'll always fully be satisfied and yet never want to stop feasting on the grace of God. Amen? Had to fix that. Came out a little bit wrong there, didn't it? The all-satisfying feast, but you don't ever want to get up from the table. Won't you come to him today? The, gos- the God of the gospel <clears throat> is worthy of being glorified by practical holiness and consistent proclamation of the gospel. By the way, that's just Hebrews or Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's just living as a living sacrifice in response to the grace of God. He's worthy of that in the lives of all who know his mercies in Jesus. And so we come this morning 
to the feast of grace, the feast of communion.